You're listening to a Monorail News production. Now, get ready to step into the magic. Hello and welcome to Magic Time by Monorail News. We are back, and I am Gray Hauser. And this week, we have my good friend, Meg Mays. Meg, how are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. How are you? I'm well. Um, you hit like we haven't been talking all night through dinner. Um, but the listeners don't know that, of course. Um, and today we're going to do something a little bit different, a little, you know, it's not an interview, but I think it's just as fun because Disney has been kind enough to send us early access to two movies, well, really three things, two movies, one short, Flora and Ulysses, Raya and the Last Dragon, and the accompanying theatrical shorts that accompany uh, Raya. It's a really, really interesting movie. I think they both are. And Meg, you've actually read the Raya, uh, I'm sorry, you've read the Flora and Ulysses book. Uh, yes, uh, I believe Disney sent you a copy. Is that true? And you let me read it. Yeah. Um, it was quite interesting. If you don't know, it was written by the same woman who wrote uh, Because of Winn-Dixie and Tale of Despero, and those were like my childhood. That's how you pronounce that? What, Despero? Yeah, I would pronounce it like Desperotics or something. Oh, no. Um. <laughs> um, well, uh, I feel like the heart of, you know, what Kate... What, whatever her last name uh, writes about is really like encapsulated in this book. Like it's like like Tale of Despero and because of Win Dixie, it's really at its core about how you can find like magic and and greatness and like just ordinary everyday things like like squirrels, you know. Tiny, tiny packages. Tiny, like squirrels. <laughs> like squirrels, yes. Like <laughs> vermin rodent that run around our backyards and get stuck in our vacuum cleaners and really aren't superheroes, but you know. What has a squirrel done to you that makes you hate them so much? Generally existing? That's horrible. So, basically, Florida was my worst nightmare. I'm kidding, of course. Um, it was a great movie. It was very fun. Um, we actually attended a press conference. <laughs> yes, we did. We got to ask a question. Uh, you can hear me as an uh, unknown female voice in the background at yeah, one part. Yeah, that's how you, got, how you got put in the transcript. Yes, I was um, in the transcript. I'm famous now. <laughs> transcript, but only got sent out to other media outlets. <laughs> and I had to ask for it. Um, anyway, so when I watched the movie... A, that first opening cinematic where it's like flashing comic book characters just felt to me like Disney was bragging about um, all of the different properties they own. Yeah, I guess you're right, because in the novel, they only talk about Incandesto, this one made up figure. And he is present in the movie as like uh, her favorite superhero. But they do brag about like, uh, what what is it like the Flash and like Iron Man and Captain Marvel? I think a scene in there. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Like at the very beginning, it's like, look at this Disney owned superhero and this Disney owned superhero. But none of them are better than this imaginary one Incandesto, which I'm sure if Disney could, they would profit off of him somehow. He's the next character in the MCU. Yes, definitely. Look forward to his movie in 2024. Just really a really crummy character. I mean, not to like rag on the book here, but like, I think that was intentional. I think that he wasn't supposed to be like super polished like an Iron Man is or and Captain America or whatever. He's just a regular person, superhero character creation. And I think that's part of the, the charm of the book and of the movie is that, you know, the, that, that average people can be super too. Yes. And that's kind of cliche, uh, definitely, I agree. Because, like in the book, it talks about how he's just in, he's just a janitor until he fell into cleaning solution, and now he's incandesto. But I feel like the theme of him being ordinary is also exemplified in the movie because he's actually a in the only in the movie he is the product of the uh, uh, the protagonist father father yeah trying to Ben Schwartz right I think that's uh, his name is that I think that's I, the I actor's think, I think name. that's the actor's name yeah um. 
let's see, his name is like George or something, the dad, it, like fictionally, but he, uh, he writes in Candesto, but it's not popular, but Flora like loves it. And she loves, you know, how her dad made this and she loves how Incandesto is ordinary and it really ties into the theme of Ulysses just being an ordinary squirrel but Flora still loves him and still thinks he's like the best thing ever you know yeah I mean she really thinks he's the best thing since sliced bread so that's um that's something um and you know another thing that really got me about this movie that I wasn't seeing coming was the special effects yeah, I think they used a mix of practical and CGI. I can't really tell. There was this really good scene where a chandelier falls onto a table. I thought for sure that was practical. I'm not sure. I hope it's practical because it looks really good. Um, but uh, the squirrel, of course, is CGI. Um, during the press conference, they said it would be like they tried it with real squirrels. But I think they might have gone like the right route with a CGI squirrel because yeah. he's much more expressive than an average squirrel would be. You know, he like smiles a little and he looks up at Flora and he's just really cute. Very cute, very merchandisable. And that's what we're <laughs> going to find, I think, is the two threads that connect Raya and Flora. Mm. Besides them having female leads and having a lot of action. Um, each of the merchandisable characters. I'm looking at you, Tuck Tuck. Oh, Tuck Tuck, you're going to see him everywhere. He's the new Olaf, for sure. Maybe he would be if he could talk, but he doesn't. The baby Tuck Tuck, though, not the big one. But the big one doesn't really do anything for me. What? He's literally just the baby, but bigger. I know, but him, he's so cute and pettable. And he acts the same. He still likes to eat bugs and roll around when he's big. But yeah, I don't know. It's less cute when it's big, right? Like, what's, what's cuter, a small dog or a cat or a tiger? I guess you're right. Like, I love kittens. I think they're adorable. Even though I love grown cats too, you can't deny that kittens are more adorable. I'm I'm a grown cat person. I know that goes against me being a grown tuck tuck person or a yeah. young tuck tuck person. Yeah, but oh well. But back to Flora, which is what we're talking about right now. Um. The the idea that they had a villain in this movie, because in the book, in the book, the mom's kind of the villain. Yeah. You said in. Uh, OK, in the movie, there is a bit where Flora is looking for Ulysses's uh, arch enemy since he's a superhero and she decides it's her mom. And the mom is actually quite the character. I think maybe she is one of the most changed aside from the dad, from the novel to the book. Um should I should I give a little spoiler for the can I am I allowed to give spoilers? Okay. Slight spoiler, but there is a part in the movie where the mom tries to release the squirrel into the wild because obviously she thinks it's like a rabid animal, like any logical person would. But in the novel, she tries to take this thing out and murder it with a shovel. <coughs> that seems a little a little harsh. Yeah, I agree. First, she tries to get the dad to do it, but the dad doesn't because, like, he's a rational human being who doesn't want to murder a squirrel. But, um, you know, the mom eventually comes to accept, like, her the daughter. The squirrel is awesome. And the squirrel and that magic is everywhere and, you know, Disney stuff. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, you know, the mom writes romance novels, which to me, the funniest line, this is what's going to push this episode over to the in, in w, not safe for work category is, I was dying at the line, mom says she writes about superheroes too. But I can't know what they do. Their superpowers when they when I, for when I get older. Oh my god! And I'm gosh. like, that was a pretty. That was so pretty funny. clever because kids aren't going to get it. Yeah, but the adults will. Yeah, um, and it really exemplifies in the movie her uh, obsession with writing romance and how she can't write it anymore because her husband's gone. That isn't present in the book. She is a romance writer, but she's not struggling to write. In fact, she's really annoyed when Ulysses starts typing poetry on her work because um, she still uses the typewriter. But uh, in the 
movie, uh, she has this award called the Jack and Rose Award, and it's for like her writing really good romance. And it, you know, it's like Jack and Rose from Titanic. So corny. And it's like the scene where Rose has the, her arms all spread like out, the top of the world. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and um, that in the book is replaced with a really creepy statue of sort of like a Bo Peep shepherdess character who Flora thinks her mom loves more than her. And like the Rose and uh, Jack statue, she does use it as leverage to get Ulysses back. And spoiler alert, like the Rose and Jack statue, it does break. But it's a really, it's a huge turning point, actually, since uh, the shepherdess is like the mother's ideal daughter. Um, uh, when it breaks, the mother uh, uh, just sees Flora for the first time after coming home to her missing. And when it breaks, the mother doesn't even hesitate to run to Flora instead of the statue. So it really shows the mother's growth. I don't think we quite see that in the movie as nope. much. Because um, in the movie, it focuses more on an external conflict that isn't in the book. Sorry to spend so much time talking about the book. I know this is not a book review. So let's let's focus more on the movie and the antagonist of the movie. Um, how the crazy it, animal control guy. How, how would you best describe our antagonist? Stereotypical children's cartoon villain, like very, you know, goofy, like the body goes, ah, you know, like wiggly and shit with like the squirrel. He, is, he's straight up out of, know. out of air bud or something like yes. one of those many movies. He's like, he's, he finds this one random squirrel and obsesses over poking its brains out, you know? <laughs> In a very, very um, unrealistic way, right? <laughs> like, he's going way out of his lane to um, to go after the squirrel, right? Like, I'm sure there are rabid dogs or something he could be catching. Yes. But he's really focused and really hard on the squirrel for some reason. Because a personal vendetta, maybe he doesn't like nuts. I, I don't know. That must be it. Because one thing, before I read the book, I saw the movie. And one thing that really did not match up with the rest of the movie was this animal control character. And while I do love the actor who plays him, I think he's awesome and funny. The character just really doesn't belong in the story, in my opinion. Right, right. Um, hey, Google. Who's in... Hey, Google. Who's in Flora and Ulysses? Just trying to figure out what that guy's name is. Uh, keep talking, Meg. Um, okay. Flora and Ulysses has a cast of 26 actors. Here are the first three. Matilda Lawler, Allison Hannigan, and Ben Schwartz. Oh, okay. So, um... Ben Schwartz is the dad. Uh, Danny Putty from Miller? That was his name, right? It's, it's gotta be... Danny Putty because he's the only other grown man who's not. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely him. Okay. It's he, him. he plays Abed in community, which is a show that is awesome and funny and everyone should watch. So I was like delighted to see him, but disappointed. Just his character really didn't fit with the flow of the movie. Um, and I feel like it really sort of destroyed the theme of family internal conflict and then overcoming internal conflict and coming together even though in the book should i can i spoil the book a little go ahead okay the book uh didn't end with her parents getting back together because they were divorced but it still brought them together in a way that like they weren't before you know they were a broken family but they came together even if it's in a non-romantic way with the parents and you know it worked out, you know? <laughs> right, no. And that is, maybe it's because in a movie, a Disney movie, you know, we want everybody to get their happily ever after, mm -hmm. right? Like if you, if the guy doesn't get the girl or the couple doesn't get back together or what have you, the movie feels incomplete. It doesn't feel Disney. Also, it really reminds me, I wouldn't be surprised if the director was the same, but um, The Odd Life of Timothy Green. It's not the same director though, but I know, I, but I know like, what you're saying. It looks just like it, like the aesthetics do, like in this magical fairy tale world that's all bright and really colorful and people act like weird and stuff. <laughs> any Disney live action movie aimed at like kids below 12? 
Like I don't remember there was one movie as a kid. It had like the, its signature image was like it raining gumballs or whatever. It was like oh bedtime stories. Yes, I yes, love that, that was movie. It. That was it. Yes, I love that movie as a kid with Adam Sandler. Yes, 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 that's the one. <laughs> that was a good. That was like the only good Adam Sandler movie I think. <laughs> yeah, yeah say that they're gonna be like congratulations gray you get to interview adam sandler oh my god they're like ah do i have to i'd be like what was the hardest part of filming bedtime stories <laughs> just don't even ask him about whatever his current project is yeah it's, it probably involves him goofily dating a woman who's like way out of his league who's like a model and he's just like this funny guy and haha and maybe he jokes about hanukkah a little i think that's in like all of his movies he jokes about hanukkah like at least once really i mean in jack I don't and jill I've ever seen an adam sandler movie in jack and jill maybe it's more in that one aka the worst movie ever like uh, his sister comes home for hanukkah i think yeah he's yeah. jewish in that movie, I think maybe in real life he might be Jewish. I don't really know, but like in that in Jack and Jill, he would like dressed up as a girl. Like, remember? No, I've I've definitely seen that. Movie. <laughs> okay, don't see it. All right, uh, let's get back to Floor and Ulysses. That was a weird tangent. <laughs> what is this podcast if not a bunch of conversations that go wildly <laughs> off course? Um, let me think. In the end. Can I spoil the end? Go ahead. Okay, sorry. Uh, sorry. This is a spoiler welcome zone. Okay, I'm really sorry. We're going to assume you've seen the movie. You haven't told me what I'm not allowed to talk about regarding the movie. So uh, in the end, it's kind of interesting how uh, Ulysses chooses to leave uh, Flora. Spoiler alert. Because in the book, I think it implies that he stays. Like, Flora is sort of his whole world in the book. Also, okay, can I go off on a slightly brief tangent? Go ahead. It's related. But um, the reason Ulysses the squirrel becomes a superhero is because he gets sucked up into a vacuum, dies, Flora gives him mouth to mouth, and he comes back. This is actually really reminiscent of a novel I read. Um, well, I read like half of it and then stopped, but it was really good, so I'll go back and finish it. But it's called Vicious by uh, V.E. Schwab, and it's essentially about... Um, how people who have had near-death experiences will sometimes develop superpowers in this universe. So these college kids huh. literally kill themselves. They're trying it, and that was exactly my next thought. I saw where that was going. <laughs> they, they kill themselves, come back with superpowers, and it's really weird. And I was like, that's so weird. And it's like a dark novel, you know? It's like, it's oh. form like the suicidal Avengers or it's something. It's like evil, but then here's Ulysses. I guess maybe because he's a squirrel and he's not a human with human thoughts and human evil human natures. He's just a squirrel. He has superpowers. He just wants a donut. Okay. He just wants to eat. He doesn't want world power. He doesn't want fame. He just wants a good old fashioned donut, you know? Hey Google, is Adam Sandler Jewish? (laughs) According to Wikipedia, Sandler was born in Brooklyn, New York, on September 9, 1966, to Judith, Judy, a nursery school teacher, and Stanley Sandler, an electrical engineer. Yeah, he is Jewish. Um, I'm still on that, by the way. So wait, does it say he's Jewish? It says his family's Jewish. Okay, so he might be like a non-practicing Jew. I don't yes. know. I don't I don't know. Sorry, Jewish people. <laughs> Maybe uh, if anyone could come in the comments or give yeah. us a review or send me an email at greyhauser at monorailnews.com. And I'll be sure to include that whenever we get out do another one of these. Anyway, back to the movie. Um, Let me think. I don't know if I have anything else to say about no, it. I feel like I pretty much checked off my list of things to say about Flora and Ulysses. Um, great action. The acting was funny. The blind kid, the blind kid, yes. So, I don't know if I buy that the blind kid's blind. Yeah, in the book, it's kind of like his aunt is like, shut up, you can see. And he's like, no, I can't. But then his glasses fall off and he's like, oh my gosh, I can see. Um, In the in the uh, book and the movie, he, he claims to suffer from hysterical blindness, which is... Which I did not believe was a thing. I had to Google it while we were watching the movie. Yeah, um, and it's essentially a thing when something traumatic happens and you go blind. Um, I mean, obviously, it's probably not permanent. It wasn't permanent for him. If you've seen the episode of King of the Hill where Hank goes hysterically blind, uh, obviously, that didn't last. Um <laughs> 
Uh, but he in the movie has a thing about touching faces. And I think that's the thing blind people have sometimes. Um, seems weird to me. And I thought that as someone who is visually impaired, I can say that. Yeah. Okay. I get, I get like no guilt. Yeah. Saying that if someone asked me, can I feel your face? I'd be like, get away from me, freak. I mean, it's kind of like romantic, you know, like maybe if you're seeing someone who's visually impaired and then- Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. That, that's what's weird about it though, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, they're, they're children, I guess. Um, I mean, in the, in the book, it, like they hold hands or whatever, <clears throat> but, um, yeah, uh, I mean, you might. I mean, if I said, "Hey, Meg, let me feel your face," uh, you'd be like, "Get away from me, freak!" And I, yeah, yeah, I'd be right, right. Like, <laughs> I mean, maybe a little. I guess it just depends. Like, you don't do that to a stranger. You, you like know someone for a while, and then you're like, "Hey, what do you look like? Can I feel your face?" Or maybe you could three D print a face. I'd be for like, them. "How does that help?" I mean, I don't know. <laughs> well. I guess if, if you're a blind listener and we haven't just defended you to never listen to anything we put out again, please send me an email and let me know. Greyhauser at MonroeNews.com. I'd love to know. Um, it really gels nicely, actually, with a, a project I'm working on that's a blog about Disney for, for people with disabilities. Um, so, yeah, so you can also send me an email to Greyhauser at Disability at Disney.com. Um, they're both going to the same place, so you can really send them to, to the same email, but whatever. So our second thing we're talking about today, and the thing that I am most excited to talk about, it comes out, I think, today, if you're watching this on Friday, uh, for $30 with premiere access on Disney+. Plus. You get to keep it as long as you have your Disney Plus subscription active, and it goes for f- in- included with your Disney Plus subscription um, at some point in June or July, I think. I don't know the exact date, but that is coming, and it's Raya and the Last Dragon, the latest Disney animated feature film that's not from Pixar. Meg, what'd you think? Um, I thought it was really good. It's a lot better than what I was expecting. What were you expecting? Well, you know, I saw the design for the dragon and I was like, oh, my God, it's Elsa as a dragon. Yeah. Uh, so I was I was just expecting like your regular run of the mill, like, I don't know, Disney princess movie. Um, nothing wrong with those, by the way. Um, I'm kind of relieved it wasn't a musical, to be honest. Uh, but, yeah, I, I really liked it. Yeah. I mean, if it was a musical, that might have been a little much. Um, I thought it was good. I didn't think it was great. I felt like the the action was great. The visuals were great. But to me, the story just didn't resonate as, as much as I was hoping it would. And I was thinking about all the potential this has to speak to, you know, um, a divided country and a divided um, world that the idea that, that the country shatters with the loss of the dragon and becomes like sectional warlords sectional warlords don't need to misconstrue that i think i said something i didn't say because that would be bad um and also would tell you about what's he talking about like how does that work um but regardless sectional warlords and sectional factions that each kind of battle each other for supremacy and to me there was a lot you know on a relevant level that could have been said I, I don't think it did that, but maybe that wasn't the intention of the movie. You know, maybe it's about creating something that's timeless rather than something that feels relevant in 2021. Yeah, I guess. Um, I'm not quite sure what they were thinking when making this movie. Maybe they'll come out with a documentary or something. But um, you said something to me the night that we saw it a while ago. and You said this doesn't feel like a Disney movie. Yeah. Yeah. And you said it feels like something that any studio could make. And I didn't quite agree with that at first, but then I was like lying in my bed and thinking of like <laughs> classic movies, like Disney movies. And I, I was thinking about Aladdin specifically because it, this movie is very much like Aladdin in the sense that she, uh, Raya finds this dragon and she's been asleep for a while and she's kind of she's like the comic relief you know she's like the jokester and she's got magic powers and stuff so she's very she had a friend in high school who didn't really do the work that was kind of me yeah she's she's very similar to the genie in Aladdin and I was thinking Aladdin is such a classic movie I can't imagine anyone but Disney making Aladdin it's like like the perfect Disney movie almost you know 
And right, right. I was thinking, I guess I, this movie doesn't really feel like, even though I said like uh, the dragon, Sisu and the genie like are similar. I, I feel like this movie just isn't as classic and maybe won't be seen as classic as the Disney's Aladdin. Look, I mean, it's not meet the Robinsons level. Okay, but it's also not Aladdin or Beauty and the Beast level. It falls somewhere in between. Maybe with the Emperor's New Groove? Mm, wait, what do you not like about Meet the Robinsons? It just... It comes kind of in between two high points in Disney animation between the Renaissance mm-hmm. and between the Revival era. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's a good movie. But at the same time, no one subscribed to Disney Plus just to watch Meet the Robertsons again. Yeah, I guess. I mean, it's definitely not Chicken Little. Way better oh, than Chicken Little. Oh, I forgot that was only even made. Oh. Um, so if you that think... That really feels like it could be made by DreamWorks. If you ever think that a Disney movie, like a modern one, is bad, just remember that they made Chicken Little, and it'll it'll make you feel a lot better. Um I actually like this movie, unpopular opinion, more than Frozen 2 and maybe even more than Frozen 1. Um, really? Yeah. Maybe it's because I've seen Frozen 1 too many times. Um, but Let it go. Yeah. Let it go. Yeah. Don't, I will get that song stuck in my head. But um, it, it's kind of weird because one thing I'm kind of sick of in Disney movies is this like journey thing, which I know the hero's journey is like a thing, but I'm talking about like they go from place to place to place to get an artifact or whatever. Very similar to um, Onward. I really didn't like that movie because, uh, you know, they got to get the magic wand because like it breaks or something. So they go from place to place to place. Uh, very similar also to Inside Out, which I do like, but you know, they're finding they're, they keep trying to get back to headquarters, but they end up going from place to place to place. And it's like, here's the gimmick of this place. And here's the gimmick of that place. Um, but I feel like each, uh, you know, part of, uh, what Kalumandra, uh, you know, like spine and tail, they weren't necessarily gimmicky. Like it's clear that they had their own cultures. Um, there wasn't like, Ooh, here's a funny thing over here. Um, maybe for, uh, what was that place called? Like, you know, the one with the, the night marketplace. I can't, I can't remember what section that was, but, um, that one was a little gimmicky. Cause like, uh, there's like con artists there and it turns out there's a baby. That's a con artist. Uh, but other than that... Don't get me started. To me, that was annoying. I could not stand the baby character. Oh, my God. And frankly, I could not stand the line, like, I want to join this whatever, whatever, whatever. I don't know. It just was really cringy to me. It felt like it belonged in a Shrek or something else made by DreamWorks, okay? It was too irreverent. Well, the thing is, obviously, that was a trailer line. I've seen that line in every trailer. I know which one you're talking about. It's the one that the... Uh, I can't remember his name, but he reminds me of Attila the Hun. <laughs> um, the one from Spine, I think that the icy tundra yes, place. Yes, yes, yes. He's like the last one of them left. Yeah. Evolve and turn to stone. Yeah. Um, there's this weird creature. He reminds me of Calamity Ganon, sort of, from Breath of the Wild. Um, it's like this evil force that turns people to stone, and it's created by human greed, sort of, and... Uh, it gets banished like 500 years ago because the dragons sacrifice themselves, but they leave behind this orb and that's what causes Kalumandra to fall apart because it's, uh, you know, like they're fighting over this orb because they believe it like brings people good luck. And then the evil thing, spoiler alert, comes back because they end up breaking this orb. Um, let me think what else. Yeah, no, I mean, I'm just going to pick it up right there. And uh, go ahead and say that to me, one thing I didn't get was that they had like one standard position when they were frozen. Like it was like they were holding the orb. Yeah. Almost in like a reverent prayer-like fashion. Yeah. With like their hands cupped yeah. at their uh, breast level. Um, Which... At first, I was like, "Why are they all standing that way?" Can you be like, "You be, you be, you know, like your arms out like this or whatever." Mm-hmm. And I said that, like, you can see me um, because it's an audio podcast. But you'd be saying that, and then like your arms would be like, whoosh, and like go back to the, the like the standard motion. Except for some people, some people didn't. I don't know if that was like an oversight. Yeah, or... I, I thought, I've been thinking about that too. How like 
Uh, I keep, can I not talk about anything without spoiling it? Okay. There's this part at the end where Raya like temporarily turns to stone and she, I think is in the position, Yeah, but the people around her are not. Um, I, I think it must be like a cultural thing, right? Like, Maybe. I mean, if it's some sort of subtext that I'm not picking up on. I, I don't know. Maybe they'll explain it in like a special feature so, sort of thing. Um, Maybe. I was, hoping, I was hoping they'd explain it. They sort of explained what the evil force is. Uh, Sisu kind of explains it. Um, but yeah. Wait, hold on. I kind of want to go on a, a little tangent. Go ahead. Um, the orb, the dragon orb. Uh-huh. I, can't, I, I don't know if it has a name other than dragon orb. Um, have you seen any of the Tinkerbell movies? Some of them, yes. Okay. Unfortunately. They're good. Shut up. They're good. I like them. Oh, come on. <laughs> I want to watch Silver Mist doing whatever she does. Silver Mist turned me into a lesbian. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Um, well, anyway, in the second one, uh, it's called like, are you okay? It's <laughs> just <laughs> so funny. She, I mean, she, she's cute. She's like, I was yeah, like, I mean, I'll hand you that. I was like obsessed with her as a kid. I was like, I want to be her, but like, I love her, you know? Okay. Anyway, but not in the way that the Disney marketing department <laughs> imagined you would, right? Like, <laughs> okay. Um, so in the second Tinkerbell movie, Tinkerbell and the lost treasure, there's this magic orb. It's the blue moon stone or something. And on the blue moon, it creates pixie dust. And obviously the, Pixie Society is based on pixie dust uh, and Tinkerbell breaks it. So she goes on this journey and tries to wish for it to come back using this mirror, but she ends up wasting her last wish in anger. Um, But the thing is, the orb never comes back together. I don't think I saw this one. The orb. uh, So she's screwed. Okay, because like if they can't make pixie dust, their society falls apart. It's kind of like oil for America, sort of like it. (laughs) Like oil. (laughs) Um, you know. So that what you're telling me is there's a pixie dust like OPEC that like controls the world supply of pixie dust, and you can buy like I don't know. Uh, like a thimble maybe full of pixie dust or they're small, right? Well, actually, it's more of a communist, socialist. Actually, it's more socialist. Than, well, then again, they have a queen, but she's more of a figurehead. Um, every day in uh, The Lost Treasure, you can see that uh, the fairies will go and they'll get like one cup of pixie dust that allows them to fly for the day. Cause like, you know, in like Peter Pan. Lore. I think I remember this. I um, think I remember this, but this begs the question. This is not totally off the topic of Rhea. If they needed to get new more pixie dust every day, A, what happened to Tinkerbell that made her leave the fairy society? And then B, how does she replenish her pixie dust? Oh, okay. That's actually a part of the whole. I promise that this gets back to Raya. I promise. Just one second. Um, so she actually steals i think some of the pixie dust she has to ration it because she built she builds this great balloon so she doesn't have to fly uh to go to this like sunken pirate ship to get the wish granting mirror um but there is a part where she does run out of pixie this dust. sounds made up she has this, to this genuinely pro- she makes a hot air balloon to go to like oz and then once she's in oz she can fly or something so I don't um know. she uh she does run out of pixie dust luckily her friend finds her and he, he has like extra i think and then they come back on the balloon and wait a minute there are male fairies wait wait never mind i know this i know this yeah, yes, his, there are. His, yes, name, there are. his name is terrence and he's voiced by jesse mccartney aka roxas from kingdom hearts duh <laughs> anyway so back to the orb she breaks the orb much like how in uh Raya, they they break the dragon orb. Uh, what Tinkerbell does, and this shows her ingenuity as a Tinker Fairy, she sort of uh, like fashions it together in like an ornament way, where all the pieces are spread out, and she uh, puts it on the pedestal, and the thing, the moon glows on it, and because it's all separated, it creates more pixie dust than it has ever been created before. So. Um, her mistake she managed to turn into something good whereas with raya they don't really do that i was the second i saw the orb break i was like this is just like tinkerbell but then it wasn't (laughs) (laughs) it's a ripoff they actually uh end up you know fixing the orb which is something tinkerbell wasn't able to do um and uh they like obviously that it reunites the country because the dragons are back and they don't have to fight over the last piece of dragon magic. But um, 
I mean, like, I don't know how they can just get past like that 500 years of history. That's like if uh, randomly like Rome and Carthage just decided to like, you we're cool. Yeah, we're cool. Yeah. Like China and Japan and South Korea. We're one country now. Yeah. We're cool. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. I mean, I doubt that Spine and the others committed the atrocities against all the other factions, but... Uh, we don't know. <laughs> we that don't- could be part of the dark R-rated version. We can get Ryan <laughs> and the last dragon one and a half and oh, go figure no. out about, like, the whatever happened in Nanking. Oh, no. No, 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 no. This is Disney. Um, let me think. What else? I did like how, like, it's a dragon river, like, the country. Yeah, the country like, looks like a dragon. That's pretty cool. It's, like, a, a, like around a dragon pond. It really makes me wonder, because obviously this is just a section of land. What exists... In Southeast Asia. What exists outside of this? Like, uh, is there, like, a, a version of Europe somewhere, do yes, you think? Yes, I, I choose to imagine there's, like, a parallel Europe. There's a parallel China. There's a parallel Japan. There's a parallel United States. So, like, do the dragons only live in Kalumantra, or do Presumably. they... Presumably. So, do, do other people not get dragons? No, well, I, I, I read an article that um, the, China, the, the Chinese idea of a dragon is different than the Southeast Asian idea of a dragon, which is different from the European idea of a dragon. Yeah, yeah. So presumably, each of those continent stand-ins have their own dragon that's applicable to their respective culture, I guess? Okay, so Europe, they get the mean, fire-breathing kind that steal princesses, and Uh then China gets the lucky kind that scare away evil spirits, and then... uh, and then they get the, in Kalimantra, they get the funny dragons that, like, look like Crack Elsa. witty jokes. Um, yeah. I mean, she is funny. It, it's just weird. Like, okay, her voice matches her, like, human counterpart, like, when she can shapeshift into a human. Um, but, like, when she's a dragon, all I can see is Elsa's persona. That's, like, all I can see. Yeah. No, I say it. Yeah, it definitely looks like Elsa in dragon form. I just really wish they would stop using the same face thing because, like, kids on DeviantArt get bullied for using, like, same face syndrome, but then Disney makes, like, millions of dollars using it. You know, it's, like, not I fair. was just about to mention DeviantArt. <laughs> I was about yeah. to say, if you went on DeviantArt and you looked up Elsa Dragon, that probably would have been what you got and, until, like, six months ago. And Elsa Pony and you know, everything pony. Remember in 2013 when everything had a pony? No, I, uh, this is solidly in your ballpark. <laughs> I, I'm not a brony or a Pegasister. I never liked my little a pony. Pegasister? I, I never got into it. Like I tried cause my friends were into it, but I never liked it. But like, I was so annoyed. Cause like every time I'd get into a new fandom and look up fan art, there was always a pony. Like we don't need pony versions of everything. We don't. No. <laughs> so I should stop. So I should take down my vast collection of pony yes. art. Yes. It's all around us. Go to church. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> also, aren't really these guys who are into my little pony? Yeah, but that's why there's Pega sisters. Oh, oh. So that's the same thing. There's so, no Yeah. Bronies are the male ones, but they can it can be used as gender neutral like dude. And you know how like do dead is a thing, but it's not as commonly right. used. Yeah. Um so yeah, Pega sisters. Uh <laughs> Just if you want to learn more about this, um, watch Jenny Nicholson's video. Uh, Jenny, if you're listening, shout out. To I love you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't want to talk about ponies anymore. Uh, uh, let me think. Um, it's kind wow, of wow. That was off topic. It's kind of obvious who the villain is. I am a little sick of this Disney twist villain, where it's like, "Ooh, look at this little lamb. Surely she's not the villain." Oh no, she's shooting poison at Nick Wilde or whatever. Um, they kind of did that at the beginning, but like she's the villain throughout. Um, it's this lady with this like butch haircut, and she is nice to Raya, and then Raya's like, "Hey, you want to see the orb? The, the, you want to special see- orb? I mean, that's like." Oh, come on. I mean, this, sorry. This, this is me going on a rant now, okay? Well, That'd be like, I don't know, 
like Kim Jong-un coming to visit the White House and the president being like, hey, Kim, you want to come see our state secret satellite? It, no, it's more like you wanted to come see the Constitution. <laughs> <laughs> he just rips well, it in half. It, it's, it's just weird. Like, I get that the theme of the movie is trust and that Raya trusts her. I can't remember her name, but... um, And will never trust anyone again after she was betrayed like that. Anyway, so Raya trusts her. That's the theme, blah, 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 blah. Anyway, but it's just weird because they spend like five or ten minutes of the movie uh, with her practicing and training to guard this thing with her life. And then suddenly she takes this stranger, essentially, to come into the inner circle to see the orb. Then she's been training her whole life to visit, to see, or something. <sighs> Save, sorry. She's not trying to visit it or see it. She's every day because she's protecting it. Um, they'd be like a secret service agent letting an assassin into the White House. One thing that's just really weird is that, like, um, it's about trust and they come together in the end, but they, they don't really address the politics of, um, like these warlords all coming together. And that's what I wanted. That's, that's what Gray wants. Gray wants a a Disney geopolital adventure. (laughs) We we, we write like 700 page books about it. There are like five volumes and they take up my whole bookshelf. Uh, It's all about a fictional world. So I can waste my time doing that and not like real policy work. There, there's just this problem with, um, you know, it's, it threw out, uh, you know, the villain. She's part of the faction Fang, which is like part like the head part of the dragon. Um, she's part of Fang and Fang is blamed for breaking the orb. Um, and she talks about that with her mother, who's like the warlord. Um, she's like, hey, why don't we come together and fix this orb? And then the mob's like, no, we need all the pieces of the orb because, like, Raya's trying to find all the pieces. And she's like, we also need the dragon to prove, like, hey, Fang doesn't suck, which is kind of weird because, like, she's manipulating people into thinking Fang isn't bad. So, like, doesn't that prove that Fang is bad? Yes. But, um, anyway, (laughs) they, uh, you know, the evil lady, you know, the one that's Raya's age, uh, she tries to like not kidnap Sisu but like hold her at crossbow point and is like come with me or you know else or whatever and uh uh it leads to something that is not so good but um you know they don't ever address like when the dad comes back who's been turned to stone and when the daughter's like welcome to the daughter's Rhea, obviously um when the she's like welcome to Kalumantra they don't discuss how the, they don't discuss the resentment that all the other factions have for Fang. They don't discuss like the politics of all coming together. They don't talk about how they're going to share resources. They don't talk about like forming a council like to discuss. It, 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 it's about as fleshed out as the geopolitics of Frozen too. Yeah, it, it's about as fleshed out as Elsa being like, "Hey, guess what, Anna? You're the queen now. Peace out. I'm gonna be a forest hippie. See ya." <laughs> also. Frozen 2, just for a minute. Or Frozen 3. It's what just happened in Frozen 3, okay? Do you think it's going to be about Anna having to adjust to her life as queen? Pro- probably be what it would be about. But this is what I want. I want we, us to find out that Hans was actually working on behalf of the government of the Southern Isles who was planning to establish Arendelle as a puppet state. So now he's come back with like an armada of a giant, like, his style coalition of other European nations to come and like take over Arendelle and put Elsa to death once and for all. And it would be really great. It'd be fun. It'd be like Game of Froze. The Game of Froze. And <laughs> that'd be funny. Um, I saw that from the Into the Unknown documentary. I think Jazz God, J- Just God, not Jazz God, says that. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, um, I was really shocked in this movie that whatever the girl who she trusts implicitly and betrays her, like, they flip back and forth on can you trust or can you not, like, two or three times in the movie. Yeah, it doesn't really make me want to trust people. I think it's, like, supposed to make you want to trust people because Sisu's like, let's give them a gift and offer them our trust. And Raya's like, no, my dad offered people gifts and someone offered me a gift and now everybody is turning to stone and it's all my fault. And Sisu's like, yeah, but, like, that was, that's you. I'm built different. I'm different. We can, we can make this work. (laughs) I spit on your gift, Raya. Yeah. And, you know, it's, like, 
Okay, so uh, Sisu, there's this part where she separates from Raya, and I, when this part happened, I turned to Gray and I was like, "This isn't good, D and D. You're never supposed to split the party." <laughs> um, so uh, when Raya is looking for the stone in the night market city, the one with the con baby, um, uh. there uh, is this part where Sisu disguises herself as a human and is like. F you, Raya. I'm going to go get this orb myself, this orb shard myself, and I'm going to prove it, prove that you can trust people by being nice. And so first she walks through and she tries to buy things on credit uh, because uh, a child told her that a very simplistic way. <laughs> yeah, he said, he said grownups have credit. It just means you pay them back later. So Sisu's going around and Which she's technically correct. She's just taking everything and she's just like, hey, guess I, it's on credit. I, I, it's on credit. I'm taking this on credit. So it's it's kind of like a, a child getting their mom's credit card and being going crazy, buck wild, sort of. Um, I can't remember how she gets out of this situation. Wait, the, the old lady. Yeah. Which turns out to be that, the warlord. That's what I thought. Um, the war, they, they think the warlord is someone else, but it turns out he's turned to stone. The <coughs> new war, warlord is an old lady. And she, and she like lures people outside the city. She she knows something's up with the Sisu. Uh, she doesn't know she's the dragon, but she knows she has to do with the uh, dragon orb pieces. And she takes Sisu out to the forest. And uh, Sisu's obviously like, oh my gosh, yay this nice lady uh she's being nice to me see it's working i'm proving myself this correct. is why we can trust people and then <laughs> this old lady is like tell me where the other orb pieces are or i'm gonna let this thing turn you into stone because um the orb pieces ward off even though it's not like a whole orb anymore it wards off the thing so that it glows and it takes the darkness thing away <sighs> so um see she's freaking out and then raya saves her and blah 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 but that like totally proves that you can't trust everyone. I think Sisu's definitely like the type of person where if she was like a person and she was on the internet. She, she's like that Arthur meme. Like, you mean someone would just go on the internet and tell lies? Like, she, she would believe everything on the internet. She would, um, you know, I don't know. She, I'm like... I get that it's good to trust people. It's a risk. That's the movie's whole theme is like, yeah, trust is worth it, but it's a risk. But like, maybe it's a sign that you you shouldn't be both extremes. Like, uh, Sisu is way too trusting. You shouldn't be like her. But Raya doesn't trust anyone. So you shouldn't be like her. You should be somewhere in the middle. You should take a risk and trust people. But like, don't. The moral of the story is trust but verify. Yeah, like don't trust blindly, sort of, you know. Whereas bringing this back to Flora and Ulysses, it's like uh, take a chance and believe in magic and stuff. And We're tying it all together. <clears throat> Just like those QAnon people today with like, they're going to inaugurate Trump again. And, I'm like, uh, and you're like, I saw a meme and it was Kronk. It's like, it's like another day with nothing happens. It's like, yeah, it's coming together. Oh my God. I don't know how people believe that when it's been wrong so many times, but like, I, I don't mean to start a discussion about that. Yeah. Um, this I'm is a Disney podcast. This, no, don't, no QAnon people come after us, please. Uh, it's not an episode of this podcast if I don't stray off and try <laughs> and like relate to something that has nothing to do with our topic. Yeah. QAnon um, people just go back to being flat earthers like the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Monroe News is sponsoring a cruise to the ice wall. Oh, yeah. We're going to the edge of the world. <laughs> we're we're going to push all the non-believers off the edge. <laughs> They'll just fall forever. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if, like, Raya's world is flat. Do you think she lives on a globe? Probably. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. If I had to guess, I mean... It it always makes me wonder fantasy worlds how like their solar systems work. Like, you know, uh Luke Skywalker has a planet with two suns and then in uh Skyrim, you know, you have Nur the planet and I'm pretty sure it's like a geocentric world. The sun is like a dead god and the two moons are like dead gods. I could be wrong. Elder uh, Scrolls fans don't come after me. Come but, after her. Come after her. <laughs> I'm just saying Find her on Twitter. I tend to think about that, stuff like that, you know? Yeah, no, I mean, you know, the movie is what it is. It was good. Is it going to be up there with Lion King and Beauty and the Beast? Not to me, anyway. 
But that does not mean you shouldn't watch it. I think it's very enjoyable. I would suggest showing it to someone who maybe doesn't know Disney that well, which, I mean, it's hard to find someone, but like... It's the perfect gateway drop. Tell them... No, no, I'm saying like, don't tell them it's by Disney. Show it to them and then maybe ask, who do you think made that film? Like, was it Disney or do you think it was DreamWorks? I think maybe... Obviously, they might say Disney because DreamWorks, they know how to do dragons. You know, they did yeah. how to train your dragon. Yeah. They know how to not make Elsa dragons. It it just looks so bad. I'm sorry. It, it looks like a how to draw anime dragon. You know, like those uh, books at Hobby Lobby that they sell, like how to draw anime. And then you flip to the dragon section. It looks like that, but in like 3D. And it just really sucks because, like, at the beginning, they have some really good, like, traditional style art. And it's oh, yeah, that, that awesome, like, intro sequence is why could notch. Why couldn't they make it more like that? And Sisu is depicted actually as, like, a traditional style, like, dragon in those scrolls. But then you look at her and it's Elsa, the dragon. Maybe it's some sort of meta commentary on how we can't trust, like, ancient pseudo-religious um, but the artifacts. Thing, the thing is, you have to trust them because they're true in this world. It's true that the dragon orb protects from the evil thing. It's true that the dragon's turned to stone. You can go up to the dragon, turn to stone, look at it, see it's a dragon, see it was turned to stone. You know, it's not like uh, like the legend of King Arthur where there's no evidence. There's like stone dragons everywhere, you know? There's evidence. Yeah. So, you know... um, I've greatly enjoyed doing this podcast episode, and I think you have as well. Oh, I mean, yes. you're like beaming at me from across the table. <laughs> um, so if they want to find you, Meg, where can they get more of your witty hot takes? Um, well, I'm not on Twitter as much anymore, but if you want to follow me on Twitter at K-I-T-K-A-T-U-L-L-U-S, uh, you can you can follow me there or whatever. Uh I talk about what I think about sometimes. Um, yeah. You're, you're more active on Twitter than... You're more active on Twitter than I am. You can listen to me, at Gray Hauser, on just about every social media account. You can follow Monorail News for all of your Disney content, at Monorail News, or visit us on the web at monorailnews.com. Keep an eye out. I'm launching a new site in the very near future. I'll have more details about that on Monorail News and at Greyhauser on Twitter. We want to, once again, thank you so much for listening, and we really, really do, appre- we really, really do appreciate having um, a loyal listener base that comes back week after week even when we're on hiatus or what have you thank you